From Tuscaloosa, Alabama, this is Aspect Radio. I'm Corey Kraft. And I'm Ben Flanagan. Welcome to another episode, and we're ready to say goodbye to summer in mid-September. Yeah, here in mid-September. Here we are, and the fall movie season, I guess, by Hollywood standards, has arrived and, and started, I guess, with a bit of a, a banger or a whimper, however you look at it, with M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit, which opened on Friday. I've seen it. Have you? I have seen it. Well, maybe we can get into that. Let's but, talk about it for a minute. Uh, okay. Well, before we talk about that, we are going to talk about the summer okay. a little later. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm previewing the rest Pre- of the episode. Here, I got Corey. you. Uh, it's been a while since yeah. we've done this, so we, forgive me for being rusty. We're going to share a, a short list of our favorite stuff from summer 2015, be they movies, moments, surprises, disappointments. We're just going to talk about five things that we took away from summer 2015. And then a little bit later, we're going to dive into the very busy season that is fall 2015 that has just a slew of movies from a lot of our favorite directors and studios. It sounds really exciting on paper. We'll see how it turns out. But yeah, okay, Corey, before we get started with all that, let's see if M. Night Shyamalan made the comeback that he, I'm sure, and many thought that he would be making with this found footage horror comedy. Let's say Kinda. The Visit, which opened on Friday. I went and saw it Friday afternoon, the first matinee showing at the Cobb Hollywood 16 here in Tuscaloosa. I had a halfway full theater full of people who I think mostly got what Shyamalan was going for. And I'm still trying to sort of rack my brain as to what worked and what didn't and what exactly was Shyamalan going for. The biggest question that I had going into this and really pretty much leaving it was, why is The Visit a found footage movie? Why did he choose this format to tell this story, something he's never done in his career thus far, but he has seen some bumps in the road and he needed a fresh start. And The Visit seemed like going into it the perfect project to do that did this movie live up to those expectations and has he made any kind of comeback and should it have been a found footage movie well i think it's better than it isn't you know it's it's got more good than bad in it uh whether it's a full comeback from the same filmmaker who brought us the sixth sense and signs uh i don't know if i'd go that far but as I said, uh, I think in my print or my review of this, by virtue of the fact that it is competent, it puts it a step above. <laughs> so that's where we're at now. I mean, it kind of is because Shyamalan didn't just dive; he uh, plummeted into the abyss with things like The Happening and The Last Airbender, which 
not only just display very little actual basic filmmaking competency, they appear to have been produced by somebody who's never even spoken to another human being before. They're legendarily terrible movies. So the fact that The Visit is actually kind of enjoyable uh, for sort of the modest thrills and laughs that it wants to provoke, I mean, that's a step in the right direction. But I, I do agree with you that the one major flaw of this movie... Uh, is sort of the found footage format because, you know, you can take or leave it. And Shyamalan actually does something interesting with it here in making it something of a, a bit of characterization for our uh, lead uh, teen character, a young girl who's something of a film snob and is uh, looking to uh, make a documentary. So the film purports to be that footage. Uh, but one of the things I think... It, most film people have found most enjoyable in Shyamalan's films when they have enjoyed them is Shyamalan's typically very classical uh, composition. The guy is really good when he's on at composing a frame and keeping uh, what is referred to in a wink with a wink and a nod and the visit uh, a visual tension going. Um, and, you know, the visit doesn't look bad, but you can't help but miss some of that the classical styling that makes, again, his best work. Even movies that I don't think are, like, entirely successful, like The Village, or movies that I don't like at all, like Lady in the Water, you know, you can't deny that those are really great-looking movies. And a lot of that really interesting visual stuff is missing from The Visit, but it does recapture what I think endeared him to a lot of audiences which is uh, a very uh, thrilling, occasionally frightening story with a healthy sense of humor that actually does connect. I agree with a lot of what you're saying. And first of all, it shouldn't have been found footage. And the stylist that is M. Night Shyamalan that you mentioned there who gave us The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable and even The Village, which I'm a big fan of. And if you're not, you can acknowledge that stylistically the movie has a lot to offer. Yeah, it does. This is missing completely almost completely in this because you miss like you said those compositions that he has become so well known for at least early in the early part of his career there are so many opportunities for that in this specific story I remember thinking that when I saw the first trailer mm -hmm. just wondering why is this this on paper sounds like so much fun and like something that is so up his alley why is he opting for this what has become this trope, this subgenre in, in, in horror that hasn't really worked for me since Blair Witch Project did it successfully back in 1999. Ever since then, you can throw it all out the window. That said, the point that I'm at right now with The Visit is I think it's better than The Happening. I think it's better than Lady in the Water. That said about The Happening, which is a bizarre movie by all accounts, including one scene, perhaps the best scene in the entire movie or the best moment maybe in his career when this old lady says, why are you eyeing my lemon drink? I see you eyeing my lemon drink. <laughs> the visit happens to be a feature-length version of that scene. And <laughs> however you want to take that, I think that's a great thing. And like you said, a lot of the comedy here works, especially as it relates to the grandparents yeah. that the kids are visiting, the kids themselves who dominate the screen time throughout this movie. I think that there are some interesting and in some cases unforgivable choices that he makes, whether it's... The you don't like the white kid rapping? Well, I was going to say the little rapping pissant. That's the way <laughs> that I would describe it, and I have no idea why he chose to do that. I think that. it's fun. It's 
awful. And it's one of the worst things maybe that's ever been put on film, certainly in his career. I would this say goes, your mileage may vary. This goes beyond Last Airbender after Earth. I mean, anything Jaden Smith could do, this kid does even worse. You're laying so it on a little thick there. It's, it's, it's really, it's bad. really unspeakably bad. I, I'm sorry. Bad. It really took me out of it. And, and, and when he chooses to do it, it's, you know, especially towards the end of the film, I just didn't understand. Well, that didn't work. So, but. but there are many, many frightening moments, like you said, and there is a constant sense of dread here, again, as it relates to these grandparent characters, as the story unfolds, whether or not twist Shyamalan is going to rear his head in this movie is very interesting and the directions that it chooses to go I think are really really strong Mm -hmm. but it kind of stumbles along the way here and there but I think for the most part this is a really enjoyable and very unusual and often disturbing when it comes to imagery experience that I think people who were a fan of Shyamalan should definitely give a shot yeah I agree um you know, we, we've talked, I think, in the past about filmmakers who work better with certain restrictions. M. Night Shyamalan is a guy who had the keys to the kingdom handed to him. And that didn't go over so well. You know, that's when he started sort of uh, his downward trajectory with something like Lady in the Water. The Visit is a modest film made for a paltry five million dollar budget and uh maybe the restrictions uh of something like that uh, spurred him on creatively perhaps that he's one of those filmmakers who needs boundaries and he can succeed with something as enjoyable you know slight this is not going to be remembered as one of his great movies but certainly enjoyable, especially after a long time in the wilderness. Uh, maybe he needs those restrictions to produce good work. Yeah, for sure. And I think that this is one that you can definitely put mostly in the plus column yeah. for Shyamalan. And, and for me, somebody who really loved a lot of his early work, that that's refreshing. And that's what I was hoping would happen with the visit. So I think we can both recommend it mm-hmm. for the most part which Absolutely. which is kind of a surprise unto itself and starts the fall season off in a positive way and if you're a germaphobe there's a moment in this movie that that occurs mm. that I, i'm going to just warn you about right now it's it's amazing so let's leave the visit and move on to the summer 2015 which we're ready to move on from Corey, we have five movies slash moments slash surprises slash whatever that we want to talk about and remember about 2015 five things from this summer that will live on in our hearts anyway as moviegoers we saw a lot of movies uh, during summer of 2015 there was a lot to look forward to and we covered uh, the first couple of thirds of the summer on yeah. this show in particular and so we're ready to close the book so i'll start here sure. in terms of the moments that i will remember from my five favorite films from summer 2015 and I want to start with Straight out of Compton the F. Gary Gray movie which turned out to be as good as I think that we had hoped it would be and you know there are times when it kind of devolves into that sort of standard F. Gary Gray very bland mainstream by the book movie that he's kind of become known for making in Hollywood but there are times when this movie is simply electrifying and it has a lot to do with the performances from the young actors in the film playing Ice Cube and Easy E and Dr. Dre and everybody else along with the music that existed obviously before the movie came out and was the inspiration for the entire thing and the best part of this movie to me is when Ice Cube as 
a young man, obviously, played by the real Ice Cube's son, O'Shea Jackson Jr., when he raps for the first time in this movie at Alonzo's Club, when Dr. Dre is the DJ in this club scene, this scene that deserves a sort of shot in the arm that only Ice Cube and his manner of, of rapping and performing can provide in that moment when they're ready to start this movement as the new rappers to launch this gangster rap movement in Los Angeles. When he hits the mic and starts rapping this, this amazing song, the movie just takes on new life to me and it just gets the shot in the arm that the movie needed too, along with music at that point in time. And O'Shea Jackson, even if he's not actually rapping and it's ice cube, his father's voice that we're hearing, he performs it incredibly well. And in that moment, I think that you get your finger on the pulse of what was happening back then and what made these guys so special. And F. Gary Gray directs it with such ferociousness, and that's something that lingers on whenever you have these guys performing in a live setting throughout the rest of this movie. The music is what makes it special, and that's something that they lean on from beginning to end, and that is the biggest strength of the movie. You know, that's a film I liked, too. Um, with with more reservations, I feel like, than many people had, you know, it's a it's a pretty shaggy movie, pretty indulgent movie, and oh, yeah. uh, but um, but mostly really good, and and it's mostly really good uh, in its first half for the scenes that you mentioned, uh, the musical performances. The one that jumps to mind for me from that movie uh, is when uh, N.W.A. They've already ascended uh, to being one of the most controversial groups in the country. They are performing, I think, in Detroit. Uh, they have been specifically warned by the police not to sing a very particular song um, that might impugn and, and feel threatening to law enforcement. They do it anyway, and F. Gary Gray composes this, this concert scene, cutting back and forth between the group, just getting into it, and this like uh, these white cops sort of cutting their way through this crowd uh, in a really magnificent, kind of threatening way. Um, you know, the second half of the film mostly uh, makes way for contract negotiations, and uh, uh, the interpersonal drama there is is less interesting to me than what the film accomplishes uh, when depicting the group's ascent. Certainly, and a big fear that I had about it in Reservation going in lived up to that expectation in that this movie was going to spend a lot of time self-mythologizing yeah, these guys. Does. And it ends on a really, really kind of gross note, especially <laughs> involving Dr. Dre and Suge Knight yeah. and his legacy. And, and that, to me, just really does a disservice to the story that you're really trying to tell. And and there's a moment, too, with Ice Cube when he's actually writing the screenplay to Friday. I thought that was funny. Which was directed by F. Gary Gray, know, for crying out loud. And it, it was just a really weird thing. But, no, when, when these guys are performing, and, and the, the, this movie understands that this is why we're all here, this is what everybody wants to see, they really nail it. They really do. So I, I can recommend Straight Outta Compton. Yeah, it's I one of too. my favorite movies of the summer. Is and, it really? Yeah, for sure. And, and the moment you mentioned the Detroit concert, it reminded me – just directly of Oliver Stone's movie, The Doors, when yeah. when Val Kilmer and and obviously The Doors are performing the end, and and sort of a sim similar thing happens. They're instructed not to say a certain thing. They do it anyway, right? And all hell breaks loose. So yeah, that was a nice sort of callback, whether or not that was uh, conscious on their part. So what's your first entry here? Um, well, this isn't a positive 
surprise. This is was certainly surprising a thing to take away from the last part of summer 2005. Um, how far has the once seemingly promising young director Josh Trank fallen after the disaster that is Fantastic Four? Now I don't know if you saw Fantastic Four. I, frankly, I didn't bother. You were you were uh, smart to avoid it. Um, you know this had sort of the the smell in the air of of a disaster in the making, and sometimes. You know, you know as well as I do that sometimes that buzz, that negative pre-release buzz, can be unfair. But in the case of Fantastic Four, it was particularly warranted because I cannot recall a uh, less coherent big-budget studio blockbuster. Uh, and, and I include things like Green Lantern and, uh, I don't know, Spawn and the epically terrible comic book failures that, that immediately come to mind, this is right up there with them. It might even be, and it's hard to believe this, saying this only like a month and a half after it was released, it might even tower above them all. It is so misguided and misjudged, not only from the no doubt studio hacked up uh, version that was released, but... You know, you look at it and it's hard to even see what the vision was. Perhaps that's the problem, that there was no cohesive vision uh, because every scene feels like it's from a different movie. The actors uh, never can agree on a tone to settle on and the whole thing feels like it was edited uh, with a machete. <laughs> uh, it is a truly baffling bad movie and... Um, you know, not only did critics hate it, but audiences who, let's be frank, generally aren't too discriminating when it comes to big budget movies, seem to have caught on to that pre-release buzz and rejected it outright, too. This ended up being, I think, the biggest bomb by some distance of summer 2005. And, you know, you hate to, to look at a movie, especially from a director like Josh Trank, who made a movie I think both of us enjoyed quite a bit, Chronicle. Sure. Uh, a very, very good film. Um, and just and, and bury him outright. But the fact is, it's a disaster. And it is shocking how much of a disaster it is. That's a shame. And, you know, I'll, I'll reserve a more thorough judgment until I see it. But none of this made much sense to me on paper going into it outside of maybe Josh Trank as director of a Fantastic Four reboot mm -hmm. and everybody thought that there should be a new direction for the Fantastic Four franchise and I think most people were looking forward to where that might go but yeah by all accounts including yours it just didn't go well and I'm hoping that somebody in the very near future figures it out and, and hires the right director and, and has the right script and casts the right people but it's been a failure so far mm -hmm. and and I know that that Hardcore Marvel fans are sad about that, but I'm sure that it'll land in the right hands soon enough and, and we'll get a Fantastic Four movie worthy of the comics. So that's an unfortunate way to start your list, Corey, but I'm going to keep it positive and keep it comic book. And one of my most pleasant surprises of 2015 was Ant-Man. And the moment that I'll pick from it, because, I mean, obviously... Everybody knew the backstory going mm -hmm. into this, the the Edgar Wright element, and and that obviously hasn't been fair 
to Peyton Reed and the job that he ended up doing here as director, because this is a vibrantly directed movie that has great performances, particularly from my pick here for best moment of Ant-Man. And that involves Michael Pena, (laughs) who is an absolute delight in this movie and has arguably my favorite supporting performance of 2015 so far as Paul Rudd's buddy in crime who sort of follows his friend in in the direction of doing good in society uh, by the end of the thing. But there are a couple of moments here that I think a lot of people are going to mistake for Edgar Wright's creative voice in this movie when, in fact, it turns out that this is something that Peyton Reed brought to the table, and that involves Michael Pena telling a story about how he got a tip for certain jobs that he and his fellow criminals are going to do later in the movie. And the way that they are edited, the way that they are performed specifically by Pena are absolutely brilliant and had me laughing out loud. And the moment that this movie ends on this very specific cue, Mm -hmm. when it cuts to the credits is the funniest moment that I've seen in theaters thus far this year. So if for no other reason you should see Ant-Man for Michael Pena, and I didn't think I would say that going into seeing this movie. Well, I think there are a lot of reasons to see it, but he's he is delightful in it. And, and that's a, a surprisingly, well, perhaps not so surprisingly, uh, really entertaining movie. I mean, yeah. Marvel Studios is still... Uh, got the best batting average in the business as far as just cranking out pure entertainment. And, you know, perhaps miraculously or most miraculously, I mean, you know, they got Michael Douglas to feel engaged in giving a performance. Yep. Rare feat for sure. And I, I would put this in the top half of Marvel movies, my personal list. Yeah. Of Marvel movies. I'm not sure where it would fall in mine, but it's it's super good. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it again on Blu-ray. For sure. So my number four uh, is another positive moment. Uh, It's uh, a sequence that is constructed as a very particular homage uh, to one of my favorite filmmakers. Coincidentally, this homage uh, to the great director Brian De Palma comes uh, in the latest installment of a franchise he helped launch. It is the opera assassination sequence in Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which, were it not for one other uh, very special movie earlier in the summer, would probably be a safe bet for the best action movie of the year. Um, This is a magnificent film, but the sequence in question uh, is a really, really high-tension espionage sequence that uh, masterfully cross-cuts between several moving figures and moving pieces in in what turns out to be uh, a chess match between Ethan Hunt and uh, the nefarious members of the syndicate, all set to uh, the sound of the Viennese opera uh, in the background. Um, And uh, composer Joe Kramer actually works in the score of the opera uh, throughout the rest of the film, which uh, is one of those subtly masterful strokes that makes uh, and just sort of uh, firms up the fact that Rogue Nation, um, if somebody forced me to choose, and I've only seen it once, but that that would have to be a real hefty contender for the best film in that franchise. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it. This was my number two uh, on my list, the opera sequence. It's just phenomenal, and it's it's just what movies are really – 
and I keep going back to this phrase, but what movies are all about. Yeah. I mean, I lost myself in this sequence. Absolutely. And, and it's just absolutely masterfully directed by Chris McQuarrie, who, who really, to me, with this film, earned his stripes as a guy whom you can trust with projects and franchises. I was watching this film and thinking, give him James Bond, give him Star Wars, give him whatever, he's earned it, he's the man, Rogue Nation is awesome. And this is a guy who, and this is fun trivia, 20 years ago today uh, made a name for himself with the release of The Usual Suspects, but sort of languished in semi-obscurity for the better part of the last decade until resurfacing with what like Valkyrie did you yep. write that and then Jack Reacher he, he got in good with Tom Cruise I guess yeah I'll say but if you know if you're gonna do you know if you're gonna reemerge you need to reemerge with somebody like Tom Cruise in your, your corner yeah and you know there are fans of way of the gun out there for sure. sure and you know he did a rewrite on Ghost Protocol that that wasn't I guess as widely publicized I but didn't know that yeah so he was a part of that and Cruise attributes him to having a pretty uh, hefty creative voice down the stretch in terms of how that movie was written and how the the story ended up but rogue nation i agree with you it's a contender for best of the series you and i know, love I, ghost protocol i love ghost protocol i love the first movie i like part two and three i like parts two yeah, and three you can keep them well they're still a lot of fun and the standard is obviously very high for this and what puts it even higher let's go back to this opera sequence which again is obviously a very very specific and, and direct nod to the work of Alfred Hitchcock, even down to, uh, as I, I didn't know this because I've never seen The Man Who Knew Too Much. Mm -hmm. And apparently down to the assassination at the Opera House, down to doing it on the note of music that you see on, on the, the sheet of music. And, and that's a nice little touch. But the silence here within, obviously, the music, or I guess in contrast to the music, the physical performance that you get from Tom Cruise and his adversary or opponent, let's say, as well as, to me, the MVP of this movie, Rebecca Ferguson. I think she should absolutely be the MVP of this movie. She is amazing yeah, in this she's movie. really, and, and really wonderful. She adds a depth to this that I just did not see coming. It totally walloped me. And if she doesn't stick around in this franchise like so many other heroines in the past and, and female supporting uh, actresses have, have done in the past here with Mission Impossible, that will be the biggest shame in, in movies that I can remember because she is absolutely, arguably, one of, I mean, along with Tom Cruise, the best part of this franchise now. Well, you know that every big franchise is going to try to get her under contract as soon as possible. Yeah. You know, Lucasfilm's calling, Marvel's calling. Uh, I mean, there are already rumors that she's up to, to play Captain Marvel yeah. uh, in, in that upcoming film. Fine with me. I yeah, think, I think somebody else. Absolutely. I, I think it, it, it may have been Ben Sark or somebody else who said this. It's like Lauren Bacall meets Ronda Rousey. <laughs> you know, I mean, she she That's a really has, great great way to put it that. is she, she just she has this elegance she has again this physicality mm -hmm. that she convincingly brings to this role we're talking about the star of the white queen here who i don't think that anybody expected to be able to kick ass on screen in a mission impossible movie she has this regal quality to her certainly that she brought and that she delivered in in rogue nation but i you know i feel her punches i feel her kicks i feel her the deception too that she brings as as this just very mysterious character whose motives you're just completely unaware of uh, throughout the movie and, and where they might go but in this opera sequence specifically again the silence that she brings the quiet coolness that she has throughout the entire thing is never more evident than it is in this 
opera sequence and the the back and forth I guess that she and Cruz have during that moment especially is so captivating in in what makes that movie great so that's a great pick it's my number two so I'm going to go to my number three next but I guess we're on your number three at this point yeah okay I'm trying to keep it straight well okay my number three I'm holding in my hands right now an iPhone 5, which is a pretty miraculous machine, uh, but you wouldn't necessarily think that you could make an entire feature film with this, much less an entire feature film that looks good. But the somewhat miraculous independent feature Tangerine, uh, which recently opened up uh, the Sidewalk Film Festival's Shout uh, Festival uh just a few weeks ago, actually, um, uh, proves that wrong. Um, director Sean Baker uh, made Tangerine on a shoestring budget and filmed the entire thing on iPhones using uh, detachable uh, anamorphic lenses, which you can purchase, I, I, I guess, as some sort of add-on. Um, and it is a wonderful-looking film uh, that has so much energy and so much vitality and tells... Uh, a story featuring uh, the most unlikely of screen protagonists to uh, black trans sex workers in downtown Los Angeles, but uh, places these characters in what ends up being, in structure, a fairly classic sort of farcical comedy. Um, it's a really excellent film uh, that, of course, uh, was not widely distributed because things like that just aren't, uh, but... Audiences uh, around here, I think, uh, uh, if they caught it at, uh, at, at Sidewalk and in, in the Shout Festival, uh, sort of been spreading its praises. And, and it's not too much longer before it's on DVD and Blu-ray. So when it finally hits, just for the sheer spectacle of the filmmaking craft involved, uh, it's, it's a must-see. I want to see it, and I hate that I missed it at the Shout Festival in Birmingham because it, it was on my list to be sure, and it still is. And I can't wait because I've heard nothing but good things about it. So Tangerine is definitely one to see for me. My number three, which will serve as my number two here, it's from what has now become the unsung movie of the summer, if you can believe it, Avengers Age of Ultron. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say that about a movie that's grossed more than a billion dollars worldwide, but it has been kind of forgotten. Doesn't it feel kind of like an afterthought at this point? Yeah. yeah, and maybe we'll get into why in just a little bit. Yeah, probably. But it's so much fun. It's a fun, fun movie. And, uh, you know, I think that Marvel is really going to miss Joss Whedon now that he is gone. And, and he's going to move on, and I think he's going to do great things. And, and I think that his crowning achievements at this point have been these Avengers films. And this one, to me, is just as fun as the first movie. It's a blast. And it just starts with such a, a, a great sequence. The Avengers together in action, kicking ass, and you know, tearing up bad guys. And, and it's just a great way to kick off the summer overall. Now, my favorite moment, I think, from the movie comes from what I think Whedon obviously specializes in, and that is bringing such levity to the proceedings in this party sequence. Yeah. Where they've they've fought off some bad guys, now it's time to kind of blow off some steam and, and hang out at, well, I guess they're at Tony Stark's loft apartment or, or penthouse. It's like at the Avengers Tower. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and the, the, the moment, though, involves a contest in which the Avengers are trying to pick up Thor's hammer from a coffee table, and it drew the biggest laugh, I think, collectively in a theater 
throughout the summer when Captain America is taking his shot at it and manages to move the hammer ever so slightly. And the the, look on Chris Hemsworth, Thor's face, (laughs) is absolutely brilliant. It is a brilliant writing moment, directing moment, and performing moment from Hemsworth specifically, and it just brought the house down. That's my favorite moment in that movie, too. Hysterically funny and somewhat prescient uh, if... Uh, you know, comic book lore and, and have a, a suspicion of where things might be going. And there's a great callback to that moment later in the movie. Yes, too, there is. Almost earns as big of a laugh. Yes, so. there is. Yeah. The Avengers, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, for, for being a, a sequel to one of the most successful movies ever made and becoming one of the most successful movies ever made, people sure forgot about it real fast. Oh, it's chump change now. Uh, my number two um, is expressing surprise, not uh, complete shock because, you know, this filmmaker, when you could do it, but surprised that uh, the great uh, director, Noah Baumbach, could follow up a really good film, While We're Young, uh, from earlier this year, with an even better film, Mistress America, this summer. Uh, Two in one year is difficult to pull off. Granted, you know, he had some time between these projects, but The fact that Mistress America is not only uh, one, like, it's not only a really great comedy, but might stand among Baumbach's best films, that took me by surprise. Um, I I think I I, I said this shortly after seeing it. Uh, I feel the same way about Mistress America as I think everybody else feels about his film Francis Ha. Uh, which is a film I like a lot, but but never really embraced in the same way I think that that most uh, film fans did. Uh, this is another team up with uh, Greta Gerwig, the uh, co-writer and star and and uh, life partner of of Noah Baumbach, who uh, stars here as the sort of grand dame screwball comedy heroine. This young woman, uh, sort of moving through New York City uh, like a tornado. Uh, and uh, taking under her wing her soon-to-be stepsister uh, and showing her the ropes in the process. Um, It is, pound for pound, probably the funniest movie that Noah Baumbach has ever made, which is saying something, because his movies are quite funny. Uh, And it's it's also, uh, and this is no small feat, uh, quite zany in a way that he's never been. Uh, he, he goes pretty broad with the comedy at times, but it never loses that incisive uh, style of writing that has become his hallmark and the emotional moments that keep the whole thing grounded. This might be uh, my second favorite Noah Baumbach movie. I don't think anything's going to move the squid and the whale from the top, or if it does, you know, I'll be dancing in the streets with joy. Uh, but the fact that this, uh, I, I would say this is better than, than even movies I, I love quite a bit like uh, Margot at the Wedding, like Greenberg, and even Francis Ha and While We're Young, which are certainly pretty great themselves. Uh, I don't know that I saw that coming. 
I haven't seen Mr. America. I can't wait. I'm a huge fan of his. I mean, he's obviously one of the best young filmmakers working today. Young, according to Quentin Tarantino in a recent <laughs> interview with uh, Vulture, people should check out. But no, he he's really fantastic. And I loved Francis Ha, love Greenberg, Squid in the Well. I agree with you. I think it's his best movie. But he has stayed so steady as a, a director, and each of his movies ever since then has been brilliant. And so I, I assume that Mr. America will be the same way. So I can't wait to see it now speaking of two in one year i can't fathom that pixar has another movie coming out in 2015 obviously this might be something we talk about a little bit later but there is another one on the way and i don't know that i will have emotionally recovered from inside out a movie that we talked about on this show previously but for me it's the best movie of the summer and and probably the best movie of the year so far and I'm kind of like flirting with the crowd that thinks this could be Pixar's best movie overall. Mm. I need to see it at length. Like I need to see the whole thing again very soon, but I've revisited moments from it since then. I've listened to Michael Giacchino's score since then, which is just absolutely hauntingly beautiful. It's really wonderful. But if we're talking about moments from this movie specifically, one that I've gone back to YouTube to check out and, and I can't tell you whether or not that I lost it and, and was uncontrollable when I watched it again, but it involves the words bing bong, (laughs) which I never thought would be an emotional trigger for me or anybody else beyond the age of four, perhaps seeing that movie. But this character which I think has become such a a magical presence in the canon that is Pixar, absolutely floors me whenever I see him. And to look at him on paper and to see him for the first time, you never would think that that would happen. It's a brilliant moment involving Bing Bong's, let's say, departure from the story. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a wonderful moment of joy and hope and and sacrifice and and it's just something that lifts you up as a moviegoer and again pete doctor is a master michael giacchino is a master richard kind is fantastic in this role and amy poehler is just wonderful as the lead character here and so along with all of the animators and people who work on these pixar movies and i know that it is a list of thousands that we can't name right now it's just uh i I think in a way a miracle of a movie and a miracle of a moment within that movie and one that uh i think will mean a lot to people moving forward certainly me yeah it's it's one of my favorite films of the year too i i felt like i didn't want to include it on this list because we had already talked about it at, at such length but I'm certainly glad you did. Uh, when I think back on Inside Out, uh, my favorite moment from that film is kind of a small one, and it's a wordless one, which is surprising to me uh, because so much of that movie, I mean, that movie's brilliant. It's brilliantly constructed, scene to scene, hilarious, clever, uh, beautiful. But the, the moment that sticks with me is this tiny little moment, this wordless moment, where Joy, voiced by Amy Poehler, has volunteered to work the night shift and to, to stand stay at the controls uh, as Riley, uh, the, the young girl they're, they're inside of, is dreaming. <laughs> um, and uh, she puts on the dream monitor uh, a memory of, of Riley ice skating. And as Riley ice skates on the monitor behind her, Joy just sort of glides on the floor in front of the uh, control panel 
uh, an almost perfect synchronization with Riley on the screen. And it's just one of those, uh, there's something about that that just, the, 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 even without language, uh, just grabs you and just communicates so much about who this character is and, and what the stakes are. Um, just a brilliant film. Yeah, I mean, that's animation, right? I mean, yeah. the power of wordless storytelling, and it can happen in live action. We mentioned the silence of Mission Impossible, and I think that there's been a lot of that this year, and, and obviously those are moments that really stick out to us. But yeah, Inside Out, I've seen it one time from beginning to end yeah. in a theater full of kids, right? and it still managed to have the effect on me that it did. There are things in my life, my personal life, that have happened since I saw that yeah. that may give this movie a brand new meaning when I see it again. Yeah, give it a couple of years, bud. God knows what's going to happen after that. But uh, I can't wait to see this again. I, and, and obviously, clips on YouTube are certainly doing the trick for now. But as a whole, I think that this is a really special movie. And the fact that Pixar has another one on the way in the same calendar year, to me, is mind-blowing. Yeah. And I only hope that it can be half as good as Inside Out. So... You're number one. Well, speaking of miracles and the power of visual storytelling, nothing for me has topped uh, George Miller's Mad Max Fury Road, which is uh, number one with, with a bullet uh, <laughs> and a lot of chrome and uh, a cadre of racing automobiles heading through a post-apocalyptic desert. Um, I mean, what what single moment could you pick out of this this sort of ballet of insanity, this this sort of grand spectacle that George Miller's brought to the screen? There's just nothing like it. Not even the other Mad Max movies quite approach uh, the the scale and the grandeur of what George Miller's brought to the screen here. I mean, this is an action film. No, this is a film for all time, and I cannot conceive of anything besting it as far as I'm concerned, just from a pure filmmaking standpoint. There might be movies that, that move me more this year. I mean, Inside Out is probably a movie that moved me more. I got a lot out of Mistress America. I've gotten a lot out of uh, It Follows and Ex Machina and Tangerine and a number of other films that I love and, and sort of hold dear. But as far as pure craft, I don't think anything can or will touch Mad Max Fury Road this year. It's a good one, and, and I really liked it a lot. And I must see it again soon because I think I I, I, I want to love it. You know what I mean? I want I want to love it like you. Give in. And I, I, I don't think that I'm quite there yet for whatever reason. And it might have more to do with the reservations that I had about it going into it mm -hmm. as opposed to how I actually experienced the movie that it turned out to be. So I need to watch it again because it really is, like you said, there's nothing like it. It's, it's a completely unique experience, a singular moment, I think, in film. And uh, one that I think by the end of 2015, a lot of people are still going to be talking about. So it started a major conversation, and I hope we see more in that universe from George Miller, unless he decides, I don't know, to make uh, Superman 2, oh Man God. of Steel 2. We'll see, we'll see what happens here. But uh, no, I, it, it's, it's great to see that he finally seemingly realized the vision that he had in his head for so long yeah. and, and made the Mad Max movie that he dreamed about making, obviously. So whenever that happens with a, a filmmaker like that, a visionary filmmaker like that, then it's just it's a plus for all of us. So can't wait. Now, I, I just want to share quickly before we leave summer my 
disappointment of the year. And you might have one too, and maybe it's Fantastic Four. I don't know. But for me, it was Jurassic World. Mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's a movie we've already talked about yeah, we at have. length. And, and I think it was disappointing in a major way to both of us. Well, it, just the fact that it's far and away the highest grossing movie of the year. Yeah. One of now the highest, what, top three grossing movies of all time? Yeah, I think it is number three. Yeah, I think it, it, it definitely beat the first Avengers, right? Uh, I think it's still right behind it. Okay, well, then that would it's make Titanic it. and the Avengers and then Jurassic World. There's Avatar, too. Oh, that maybe one. it did beat the Avengers. Yeah. Then. So I, I think, oh, that's weird. Yeah, I think that it's third. Yeah. So exactly, it's weird that Jurassic World is that high on that list. It has connected with people, and I love that people ha- have latched onto a movie like it. And I think that this this franchise has a very bright future, but for whatever reason, Jurassic World just didn't totally work for me. And, and the reasons I think are, are ones that we articulated in a previous episode. But I, I think it's amazing that it's sort of like plucked the Avengers just into obscurity, even though that movie, you know, made its fair share of money in, in 2015. But I, I just think it's amazing that Universal, with this now behemoth, is on a rampage now globally mm-hmm. at the box office. And, I mean, with other stuff like Straight Outta Compton and obviously the Fast and Furious franchise. Fury 7 today on Blu-ray. Which is a really fun movie. Yeah, it is. And, and one of the best movies of what I would call the summer, even though it came out maybe a little bit before it started. But Universal, again, has just become this monster thanks to these franchises. And, and I look forward to where they go from here. I just hope that I connect with the next Jurassic movie more so than I did with this one, which, I, again, I think spent way too much of its time bowing at the feet of the first Jurassic Park movie when a better tribute to that film would have been to make the best movie that they could make. Yeah. So maybe they'll do that next time when, say, Colin Trevorrow is not at the helm. When he's at the helm of the Star Wars movie. Yeah. Oh, so. man. <laughs> well, you know, if, if, if I'm Disney, on paper, it makes a lot of sense Yeah. On when it comes to paper. I don't think I would say that Fantastic Four is my disappointment because I guess I wasn't expecting anything on paper from that. Uh-huh. I also knew that Terminator Genesis was going to be bad, <laughs> and it was. I was let down by both Jurassic World and uh, Brad Bird's Tomorrowland, both of which I think are quite bad. <laughs> but the disappointment of summer 2015 is one I just caught up with, and I think it's a film you've seen. Cameron Crowe's Aloha. <laughs> you never had a partner. <sighs> I mean, I know that your your ex-wife gave you the heave a year ago. That, that would be off-limits repartee for us, Captain. I lone-wolfed it all the way. That's who I am. End of speech. Understood. By the way, my ex-spouse did not give me the heave. She met some rich guy who made his fortune selling comic books, and in this economy, that's enough to vaporize a marriage. Suddenly get replaced by a comic book version of yourself. Nobody wants to live where they are. They all want to be in a fantasy, Amy. All right? She gave me the heave. Why did she blow it, if I may? You have to know that. I know what you're doing. You're not going to pick my brains. They're unpickable. What What has possessed him? Well, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Okay. Disappointing in that. Let's manage our expectations here. Sure. I understand that. This is the filmmaker who has brought us previously Elizabethtown. But I kind of like We Bought a Zoo. Well. We Bought a Zoo is, you know, competent. It's fine. It is. Uh, Aloha is another one of those legendary disasters well, Where you can't, I mean, how do you look at that and, and how do you look at that screenplay and say, good, fine, here's a check, get a, get a cast, do your Cameron Crowe thing. Cameron Crowe didn't even do his Cameron Crowe thing. 
I mean, it is such a mishmash of nothing. Yeah. It, yeah. I think nothing is a good word for it. It's just kind of a nothing experience. It didn't offend me, though. Like, it just didn't really, because I think I was so just kind of like, not even burned by Elizabethtown or, or We Bought a Zoo, which, like I said, like you said, it's fine. It's, it's a fine little nice movie, but. Yeah, I, I saw it. I didn't really see what the big deal was, but perhaps I'm just numb to it at this point. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't see it until I, I got it from Redbox uh-huh. like last week. <laughs> That's and, what you um, think of Cameron Crowe now. And I, well, I mean, everybody just <laughs> warned me away from it, and, and I finally just buckled down and thought, no, this is a Cameron Crowe film. Even Elizabethtown had moments that were fine, that were you could see you know, where the movie was in Elizabethtown. Uh, there is there was something to it that if you know he had maybe revised it and gotten a better lead actor and changed the third act completely that there was something to it that could have been okay with Aloha it is just fundamentally from the ground up baffling yeah well I don't know I, there's a good My Morning Jacket song in Elizabethtown. That's, there is that, a good My Morning Jacket song. I like that song. It's about all I took from Elizabethtown. And to a be good quite soundtrack, just in you. general. Yeah, maybe not, not as the, not as good as uh, Almost Famous. Well, you know, to me, Jerry Maguire is still his best movie. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm beginning to think I'm not really a Cameron Crowe fan. Ooh. I'm just an Almost Famous fan. Well, his batting average doesn't support it. You know. Yeah. I mean, he has some good movies, but now he has some bad movies. I really just. I, I'll take I'll take say anything I'll take almost famous and I'll take vanilla sky and Ugh, you can, you can no. have everything vanilla else. sky is in that negative column. No, for I, me. I like vanilla sky. All right, well, let's say goodbye to summer. Bye, goodbye, summer. summer. Yeah, you, we enjoyed you and and we'll see you again soon. I'm sure. Now but, I'm in school. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to fall 2015, a season in which Steven Spielberg and Danny Boyle and, and so many other fantastic filmmakers have brand new movies coming out. I mentioned Studios. That means Pixar, a movie that I just mentioned before. Inside Out has a companion this year in The Good Dinosaur, and, and we're obviously going to get a new film from J.J. Abrams, one that you may have heard of. I know, I'm not familiar uh, with this. I'm not sure. We may talk about it a little bit later. So, Corey, we're going to keep this very simple sure. here. Let's talk about our top five most anticipated for the fall. And I'm going to be pretty brief, and I'm going to be very predictable with this list because just, again, on paper, there are just too many obvious choices here where I know I'm going to be spending money on that. Sure. So I'll start, and I don't want, like, I, I, I'll... Mention some honorable mentions later because I don't want to like steal any of your thunder. Okay, so I'm gonna go with the film from Alejandro Gonzalez in Yaritu, The Revenant. So you're going all the way into oh, I'm winter. going winter. You're yeah, going let's you're, go fall winter. Okay, because right. yeah, that that is slated as a Christmas Day release. Yeah. But it's probably not going to be here on Christmas Day. And, no. you know, barring some strange thing. But this is obviously this survival tale starring Leonardo DiCaprio and we have a trailer for it and it looks bug nuts and probably more so than the film that you hated that one best picture Birdman oh boy it looks I mean just based on just its technical merit again and I think story-wise it seems to make a lot more sense on paper than Birdman it looks just like a chaotic just 
completely exhausting experience for the viewer and obviously the people who are involved with making it. And Emmanuel Lebeski goes for the trifecta, his third cinematography Oscar in a row. I think that he, from the looks of the trailer, is in position to pull that off. Wouldn't that be insane after just uh, two decades of not winning for great work and not winning for great work? He wins three in a row and Roger Deakins still doesn't have one. Well, he's still doing great work, though. Let's be honest. Yeah, no. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah, this it looks awesome. And and I just I think Inyaratu is he's still an exciting filmmaker. I obviously liked Birdman a lot more than you did, but. This, to me, looks like more of my type of movie than Birdman is and was when I saw that. And when, you know, I don't know. I'm excited to see DiCaprio maybe pull something off that he's never done before. And you have guys like Tom Hardy in supporting roles here. And what looks just, again, like a grizzled, mean son of a bitch of a movie. So I can't wait. The Revenant. It seems grim, but I'm in. Yeah, it, it looks great. Um, if my list included winter releases, which it does not. Uh, it would be on it. I kind of cut mine off at Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, so uh, that uh, that film, The Revenant, David O. Russell's film, Joy, and a little indie thing by J.J. Abrams, not on my list, um, though, well, the Abrams film at least probably would be. I'm going to kick mine off uh, with the new film from noted Best Director winner and uh, cinematic auteur, Sam Mendes. Uh, The film is called Spectre. Oh, it's the new James Bond movie. The reason this is not slightly higher on my list is because we have, and recently, been burned by the follow-up to a great James Bond movie. Casino Royale is a great James Bond movie. Its follow-up, Quantum of Solace, is not a great James Bond movie. Skyfall, the last one, directed by Mendes, is a great James Bond movie. I'm worried, though, that we might be falling into a pattern, but I am guardedly optimistic that we will not be considering Mendes is back. Uh, The screenplay was actually written by the time they started filming, even though a certain scuttlebutt from the Sony email leaks uh, suggests it wasn't in tip-top shape. Um, And, uh, well, they just announced the the runtime of this thing. Did Did you hear that news? What is it? Three and a half hours? Yeah, almost. It's going to be the longest James Bond film yet at two hours and 40 minutes long. It better be pretty epic just, in scale to sustain that. But I, again, I am guardedly optimistic that this will be a worthy follow-up to Skyfall and that we won't be following into some sort of Star Trek type situation where the even <laughs> ones are uh, not particularly good. Let's not go there. So I'm not a math major here, but in terms of like probability and, and portion and what you're going for there and the pattern that you are afraid of. Mark Forster didn't seem like the perfect choice right. to make a James Bond yeah. movie to me. And so for following up the great Skyfall directed by Sam Mendes with Sam Mendes making another James Bond movie. That would suggest to me that they got the right guy. Well, they've thrown enough money at Spectre to make it worthwhile. I mean, I'm just looking for uh, a worthy follow-up. If it's not as good as Skyfall, I'm not going to be too upset because I think Skyfall is pretty amazing. I just want something that holds a candle to it. I think we're going to get it. That's why it's on my list at all. But it's at number five because I'm a little reluctant to get my hopes up too high. Well, my number four, again, I I had mentioned Pixar. It's The Good Dinosaur, and that's a Thanksgiving release. And 
it's easy just again if we're talking when you go back to this phrase on paper to just mm-hmm. pick a Pixar movie but you know Pixar hasn't worked out in the past and now we have the the this evidence that it it's not always a sure bet necessarily. Mm-hmm. Now cars and cars too are happen to be that evidence. And so they also feel like outliers in the Pixar canon, but I'm pumped about a new Pixar movie pretty much as a rule. Yeah. And when I heard that a second movie was coming out after inside out or, you know, that was probably before I saw inside out to be quite honest, I thought, wow, that seems like a lot of Pixar in a year. I hope they can pull that off. And I hate, that that was my cynical thought upon hearing that news, but it just was. And then I saw Inside Out, and then I saw the trailer for The Good Dinosaur, and the trailer, I think, is phenomenal and highly emotional and feels like a Pixar movie, and it feels like a different kind of story, which we're obviously used to seeing from them. And I'm excited about the director, Peter Son, who was responsible. This is his feature debut for Pixar as, as the primary director, but he's responsible for one of their best shorts in Partly Cloudy, which oh, is, that is a, good a one. fantastic short yeah. and a brilliant little story told in just a few minutes. And obviously there's a, a little bit of production history here that's worth noting. Bob Peterson came up with the idea of uh, The Good Dinosaur, and he was the director of The Good Dinosaur until he was unseated by Pixar for whatever reason, and that's when Peter Son stepped in to finish it. Now, this has happened on a recent film from Pixar. Obviously, Brave has a similar history. I'm a big fan of Brave. I know that you're less of one, perhaps. I'd say less of one. But it's still, I think, a, a fantastic film. So it tells me that Pixar is capable of picking up the pieces and riding the ship if there is production turmoil. So I expect great things from this movie based on what we know about it and based on what we've seen from it so far. The trailers have been fantastic, and it just looks brilliant. And what can I say? It's Pixar, so I'm there. Yeah, um, I'm on board. It's not on my list. It's probably not even honestly one of my honorable mentions, but we can say it is just to go forward because obviously I'm I'm going to see it and I'm going to be excited about it. My number four, though, is, um, well, a return to space from a director whose last return to space, Prometheus, was pretty underwhelming. I think this one is shaping up to be much better. Ridley Scott's The Martian, based on a very, very popular best-selling novel, Uh, with an excellent cast, headlined, of course, by Matt Damon as a stranded astronaut fighting to to survive on uh, the surface of the planet Mars, but also featuring Chiwetel Ejiofor, Jessica Chastain, Kate Mara, Donald Glover, Jeff Daniels, Kristen Wiig, etc., etc. Oh, and the aforementioned Michael Pena is in this one as well. It's got a stacked cast. It looks like a lot of fun. Uh, I, I don't know how you couldn't be on board with it. And, and, and honestly, I just want Ridley Scott to hit it out of the park again. Ridley Scott, I think, has not become a warning sign necessarily because, look, he's still Ridley Scott and he gave us Alien and Blade Runner and a handful of other really fun movies. But I, I got to say that there is mild trepidation when it comes to Ridley Scott having a new movie coming out. And You're not a counselor fan? Well, no, not necessarily. I'll I be really honest am. with you. Well, you're you're strange. Yeah, we all I'll, know I'll that. own that. And, I'll own that. Yeah, and that movie certainly is too. But he needs a hit in terms of it, critical success, obviously some box office success. I mean, Ridley Scott needs a good movie on his uh, filmography as of late. And Prometheus has its moments, but I kind of feel the same way about that and maybe about this these last few movies from Ridley Scott as you do about like Cameron Crowe movies I'm just kind of like meh about them yeah you know and I but the the Martian happens to look really good yeah it does and and word out of the Toronto Film Festival where it just premiered 
has been very positive. Yeah, well, and that's been that's no surprise with Ridley Scott that one of his movies looks really good. I mean, he he is obviously somebody who can polish a movie really well yeah. and and make you want to see it based on the trailers and and you know concept art and everything else but the movie. So we will see. He's a very skilled director. It obviously obvious, always depends on the script yep. with him. So hoping The Martian has a great script, and I'm hoping we get another great film from Ridley Scott. So a guy that we can typically expect great films from has a movie coming out in October, which seems very soon for him and, and the pedigree involved in, in where it might stack up at the end of the year. Steven Spielberg has a brand new film, Bridge of Spies, a, a Cold War espionage film. That's all I really need to know, to be quite honest. And Tom Hanks happens to be the star. Okay, I'm in. I don't need to know any more. And I don't want to see any more bad posters uh, come out for this yeah. movie uh, because that that I, I can't say that that's affecting my level of anticipation for it. But look, it's the new Steven Spielberg movie, and I'm going off of a lot of what I you know know about what they've done in the past and what I know on paper when it comes to Pixar and 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 obviously the Rev the Revenant is another I, I think case like that. But I mean, the the initial trailer looks really good. It's called Bridge of Spies. It sounds like a Tom Clancy novel, but uh, whatever. I'm I'm in. Bridge Script, of Spies. Script uh, co-written by the Coen brothers. Not well, that, so it was know. unbroken. Yeah, that's what I was about yeah, to say. So, not I that mean. that's necessarily uh, <laughs> a, a promising sign, but sure. more often than not, it is. Sure. Why not? Uh, I'm just waiting for the first bit of marketing for Bridge of Spies to really get my blood pumping, you know? I'm, I'm excited for it, too. It's an honorable mention of mine. But, you know, give me something. Yeah. Give me something. I'm going to be there opening day. Yeah. Another film that I'm going to be there opening day for uh, is my number three pick. It happens to be the same day as Bridge of Spies, so I'm going to have to figure something out there, maybe pull a double feature. It's, of course, Guillermo del Toro's gothic horror film, Crimson Peak. Talk about a guy who knows how to make a good-looking movie. Yeah. Every inch of what we've seen of Crimson Peak so far looks visually lush and frightening and just gorgeous uh look all you have to say Guillermo del Toro haunted house movie are you in or out obviously I'm in but if you throw on top of that a cast that includes Jessica Chastain who's everywhere apparently uh Mia Vasakovska and Tom Hiddleston yeah I'm very very in uh you know Charlie Hunnam's in it too but maybe he'll <laughs> work something out he was um, good in pacific rim he Come was on. adequate in pacific oh, rim God. hopefully he'll be better here i, I think he will be I hope he narrates uh, this. but as always the star of a guillermo del toro movie is guillermo del toro and crimson peak seems to be the most guillermo del toro movie ever made so i'm on board i'm on board too del toro and horror is is something that needed to happen again promptly after what he's been up to and and yeah i mean I'm such a huge fan of Pacific Rim that whatever he did next, I was 100% gung-ho on. So, And this is coming between uh, Pacific Rim and still allegedly Pacific Rim 2. Yeah. So, okay. Super pumped. And, and my number two, you've already said, Spectre. Yeah. I think it looks fantastic. The trailers have been phenomenal to me and have this wonderfully sinister tone mm -hmm. about them. Obviously, we... We know that Christoph Waltz is here as the bad guy, and, and we obviously have our 
theories about who he's actually playing. I don't think there's any way around it at this point. Maybe they'll pull the rug out from under us. But it's going to be another no. It's not con situation. Right. More, yeah. More importantly, perhaps the professional wrestler Dave Batista is here, and he was in Guardians of the Galaxy and gave arguably the best performance in that. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping he brings the same physicality and perhaps the same humor. We'll see. This movie doesn't seem like it has much of that in it, but it is James Bond. And they certainly brought more of that to the table in Skyfall than they had in previous Daniel Craig outings. So I'm really looking forward to it. We heard recently that Sam Smith is singing the song yeah, for for it. I don't yes. know how excited we're about sure. that. So, yeah, I, I think the trailers for, for Spectre have been fantastic. Yeah. The fact that it's called Spectre, the fact that Spectre is in this movie. How could Christoph Waltz be playing anybody other than who we know he's, he's playing? He, he, the he's film not, is not. called Spectre. <laughs> he's, he's not. It's going to happen. We just have to wait for it. But if they want to do that, if they want to you know, tease us the way they're teasing us, fine, whatever. Let them go about it how they want to. It's just there's no keeping any secrets anymore in this day and age and it's a shame we have to spoil things like that for ourselves uh, but whatever i'm pumped for spectre yeah, me too well my well both my one and two films actually were probably made for a uh, a combined budget that's roughly the size of spectre's like munitions budget um uh two comparatively small films number two is a film that premiered this year at the Cannes film festival it is the long-awaited return to the big screen by director todd haynes Mm -hmm. a film called carol starring kate blanchett and rooney mara as two star-crossed uh lovers who meet in the 1950s at a time when this is a love that dared not speak its name Um, Everything about this looks, uh, again, uh, absolutely lush, and it, by all accounts, features two brilliant lead performances from two of the most exciting actresses out there. One we know we can depend on in Kate Blanchett, who's already given what I think is a remarkably underrated supporting performance as the evil stepmother in Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella. And then Rooney Mara, who sort of dazzled everybody in uh, David Fincher's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and and a bit part in The Social Network, uh, and who I feel like ever since then we've sort of been waiting on her to really capitalize on that potential. By all accounts, she does here. She won the Best Actress Prize at Cannes for her role here. And uh, Todd Haynes is a really terrific filmmaker. This should be something special. And, and by all accounts, he's knocked it out of the park. I'm starved. Bon appetit. What do you do on Sunday? Nothing in particular. What do you do? Oh, nothing lately. Maybe you'd like to come visit me sometime. You're welcome to. At least there's some pretty country around where I live. Would you like to come visit me this Sunday? Yes. <laughs> what a strange girl you are. Why? Flung out of space. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. It's it's on my list for sure, my larger list of things to see this year. And, and personally, I'm glad he, he sort of got the aftermath of I'm Not There out of his system by making the Mildred Pierce yeah. miniseries on HBO, which is excellent. I, really I still good. haven't seen it. I love Todd yeah. Haynes, and I've still not seen that. It's worth seeing. Yeah, if you're a Todd Haynes fan, obviously. But yeah, it's very good. And 
I'm not a big fan of I'm Not There. Are you not? No, I'm not. I, I love I, it. I kind of hated it. I love it. You. Yeah, I think it's a movie that is so in love with itself and it was just a really bad experience. And I was really? actually, I was actually before seeing it going through a pretty serious Bob Dylan phase too. And it just really and it didn't speak to oh, you at all. It, it did the absolute opposite. To wow. Me. So yeah, I didn't love it and revisiting huh. it. It's uh, just as bad to me. I think it's, uh, there it's are a things, terrific movie. There are things about it. Certainly that there are qualities about it that I like, but I just think on a whole, it's just a swing, wow. swing and a miss. Wow. So, but I still love Todd Haynes. I, Far from Heaven is great. The Mildred Pierce is is great. So I, I can't wait to see this. And this trailer is fantastic. And these actresses obviously are are tremendous. And I love seeing Kyle Chandler getting a yeah. a shot on the big screen the way he is. So yeah, I'm all about seeing Carol for sure. <laughs> so my number one, I am breaking that rule and going winter in. How could it be anything other? Like, forget anything I just said about any of these other movies. There's a new Star Wars movie coming out this so year. So you're into Star Wars, are you? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And and I, I just awoke from this 15-year coma. Nothing happened uh, since <laughs> 1999, did it? I, I mean... I just heard there's a new Star Wars movie. I heard there are these three others that happened, so I'll get to those a little later. I'm going to see this one first. If you fell into your coma in 1999, <laughs> the first thing you'd do when you woke up would be probably to ask to see The Phantom Menace. Oh, somebody God. would have to step in on your behalf and yeah. tell you no. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. it's gone. First of all, you know, parents out there, don't show your kids the prequels, and, and I'm just going to assume that this is going to rid those from the earth, I, I hope. I think that everybody knows that, including J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy and all parties involved, I think they know what they're doing in terms of what they have to do and, and what happened with those prequel movies. Mm-hmm. And without saying it out loud and with paying as much respect to the original trilogy and the guy who is responsible for those, they're going to make Star Wars great again, to borrow a phrase from Donald Trump, let's say. And I want that on a hat. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should make that I think hats. we should make that hat. <laughs> okay, well, you heard Start it here first. Start an Aspect Radio shop. Yes. Sell it. Uh, so I think that's what's going to happen here. And, and again, by all accounts, it seems like they're doing that. And we have been here before with yeah. Star Wars movies where our hopes have been so high and our dreams have been dashed. And I fear, obviously, in the back of my head that this could happen again. I hope I'm going into this with more managed expectations than I did, obviously, when The Phantom Menace and even the following two movies came out. But J.J. Abrams has done everything right so far. Kathleen Kennedy has done everything right so far. Disney seems to know what it's doing with this franchise hiring Colin Trevorrow for episode nine, notwithstanding. I can't wait to see this movie. I feel like a kid again, honestly, watching the trailers and reading about it and seeing toys at Target, fighting kids off in the toy aisles at Target for for those action figures. I actually did buy two of the action figures. I, you're not the only friend of mine who has done that. So you're you're. There are others. Yeah, out, they're there, like me out there. Yeah, you have good sad company. So so yeah, this is just the obvious choice for me, and I think everybody else on the face of the planet. I'm fine with being unoriginal about this. There's a new Star Wars movie. I cannot wait. Please God, let it be good. You might say, and I think I've made this joke before, but I'm gonna do it again. You might say that after your hopes were dashed by the prequels, you now have a new hope. Yep. I'm going to let that linger. So, yeah, I mean, if I were reaching in the Christmas season, that'd probably be my number one, too. Probably? Yeah, probably. Corey? Yeah, probably. What? 
I've been hurt before. Yeah. I don't want to open myself up to that again. <laughs> we're all going to open ourselves I up know. to it we're again. Opening, like, well, <laughs> we're well, opening. Let's say, like, the month before it comes out, I'm not going to be able to sit still. No. Are you kidding me? No. No. I, I'm, I'm fully don't... aware that that's going to happen to me. I'm just trying to prolong the inevitable. Hey, Corey. Okay. I got a bone to pick with you here. Okay. 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 Before we move on. Pick away. And, and we're on Star Wars. Sure. Don't post screenshots of the opening crawl on Facebook. What are okay? you talking about? Don't don't post plot points for the new point. Star Wars. That was from don't, the book just, that I bought. Don't, That's from Star Wars Aftermath, don't the, the do connecting it. novel. There's nothing there's don't no spoilers do there. Don't do that. Don't it's from do. the novel. <laughs> just has nothing to do with The Force Awakens <laughs> as far as I understand. I haven't actually read it yet. Let, us, it all, cool. let us all experience this at the same time, man. I, okay? I would never post a plot spoiler. <laughs> That's a preposterous accusation. All the Stone Cold Stunners coming your way for that one. Well, man. fair enough, but okay. I, I'm sorry I spoiled the experience <laughs> of turning to the first page of Star Wars Aftermath. Which is now on sale in stores everywhere. <laughs> Thanks um, for the plug. Yeah, I haven't read it yet. I think Phil read it. He didn't like it very much, but whatever. Okay, yeah, well, moving on. That's not saying much. <laughs> so again, my number one is a film that has an entire budget of of the approximate like prop lightsaber budget of, of uh, <laughs> The Force Awakens. It's uh, another film that premiered to great acclaim at I guess Venice and Telluride and Toronto. Um, and the more I hear about it, the more and more excited I get. Uh, it is Tom McCarthy's Spotlight. Really? As something of a lapsed journalist, I guess you could say, um, there's still something appealing to me about seeing uh, stories of investigative journalism brought to the big screen. There's something uniquely exciting about that. I think it's a charge that sort of drew guys like you and me to the profession in the first place. Some of us have stayed in it longer than others, but I don't know about you, but growing up and seeing movies like All the President's Men made uh, investigative journalism look like the most exciting job in the world. Now, the reality of that is that it's pretty arduous, painstaking, irritating work sometimes, uh, but another film along those lines, this one um, with an ensemble cast, uh, including Michael Keaton, uh, Mark Ruffalo, Rachel McAdams, Stanley Tucci, um, a stacked cast that's going to bring together a, a true life story of uh, investigative journalism that actually made a difference in uncovering uh, the decades long uh, scandal uh, and cover up of the Catholic Church uh, and uh, allegations of, of child sexual abuse. Uh, a sobering story that by all accounts from these festivals is brought to the screen remarkably by Tom McCarthy, a director I've been fond of for a really long time with movies like The Station Agent, The the Visit. Uh, Say the Cobbler. The, the Say visitor. the Cobbler. The Visitor. Yeah, it is The Visitor. Yeah. I, I got that in The Visit confused. Uh, the Visitor, win-win. I just saw The Cobbler <laughs> last week. It's a disaster. <laughs> but the idea that Tom McCarthy is following up that just bafflingly made movie with what seems to be a real home run uh, is just wonderfully enjoyable cognitive dissonance to me. Um, Tom McCarthy is a talented guy, the cobbler notwithstanding, and I'm really looking forward to see what he does with Spotlight. I, you know, honestly, I mean, it's probably the indie movie I'm looking forward to the most uh, this fall, and um, the trailer's great, and the cast is great. It just looks like good old-fashioned... 
uh, 70s style dramatic fun. Yeah, you know, movies about journalism are obviously attractive to, to, to guys like us. I, I, I can't wait to see it. I'm, I'm with you. And, and, you know, I had heard strangely negative things about Spotlight. Maybe that was just one review that I had read. And yeah, I think that maybe lately I've seen a few tweets and headlines saying that it is in fact a good movie. And, you know, it has all, it has everything that, you know, you'd want in a great movie in terms of a good writer director, great cast. And I think Liv Schreiber too is in this movie. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's stacked, like you said. And, you know, I can't wait to see it. Yes, as a journalist and as somebody who loves movies about it, yeah, it's 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 on the radar to be sure. I'm surprised you have it that high, to be honest with you. But, you know, I think my favorite thing that Tom McCarthy has done thus far has been something where he was an actor. And mm-hmm. he was in the final season of The Wire. About journalism. Where he plays the most sniveling, worst journalist, <laughs> perhaps, in all of entertainment. And he's really fantastic. And maybe he's bringing a little bit of that and that experience. Mm-hmm. And obviously his his time he spent with David Simon working on that show to the table with Spotlight. So I'm really looking forward to that as well. So good picks. I think we're, we're set for the fall. There are a couple here that, that I, I left out. And, you know, weirdly, again, because I didn't have any, you know, limitations in terms of, you know, keeping it fall or going to winter. Here's a couple I left off that I can't can't believe I left The Hateful Eight off, the Quentin Tarantino movie. But I'll be quite honest with you, Corey. The trailer didn't do it for me. That would have been my number two behind Star Wars if I were doing winter. It didn't do it for me, man. It's a great trailer. Oh, it's not, though. It's fine. I mean, that you don't like good things. Well, no. So I've been talking with this, you know, Ben Stark, you know, quite a bit about film lately. And we talked about it. He had a really funny comment about Quentin Tarantino trailers. He says, doesn't it seem like Quentin Tarantino trailers are all always or often cut by somebody who thinks they're Quentin Tarantino? That's a fair point. Yeah. Uh, You kind of have to squint and and look between the lines, so (laughs) to speak, to to see the shape of what the Hateful Eight is going to be from that trailer. But it looks really special. Here was my response to that. Uh-huh. Doesn't it sometimes feel like Quentin Tarantino's movies are written by somebody who thinks they're Quentin Tarantino? But he always pulls it off. He though. does. He does. He does. You know, I rewatched Inglorious Bastards recently, which is a film that I love. Yeah. But my lord, does it have warts? Not all over it. There, there are movies of his that have warts all over, but. That's my favorite of his movies. But how with Eli Roth, man? How could you? How could you? How could you? That's like a, that's like a movie sin. That it's just at the it's at the top of the list, man. It's so bad. This guy sitting here nodding. Yeah, he's right. No. Yeah. Y'all, Corey, y'all you can't past. defend that. He's fine. Okay. He's adequate for what he does. Another film that I left off here from Jonathan Levine, who directed one of my favorite movies from 2011, 50-50. Was it my top five? Oh, phenomenal Yeah, movie. it's a great yeah, movie. He's got a new movie, The Night Before, yeah. this, this Christmas movie starring Seth Rogen, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Anthony Mackie, Lizzie Kaplan is in it. Just a great cast and, and uh, hopefully a wonderful follow-up to that film. It doesn't look like it has the emotional resonance. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but I think they're going for the laughs this time. I'm all right with that. Yeah, I can't wait. So th- those are two that, that I left off there that I'm really, really super pumped about uh i've got a couple others that you haven't mentioned okay uh particularly off the heels of last night's second trailer release creed uh have you seen that new trailer yes man yeah that looks like it is going for (laughs) all of the man tears well yeah for sure my my only 
I guess, reservation about Creed is I hope Rocky doesn't get in the way of this Rocky movie. <laughs> you know, Sylvester Stallone, who who tends to meddle with the projects that he is right. a part of. And, you know, I didn't love Rocky Balboa at all. In fact, I didn't like it. I but, like it. But I think Ryan Coogler at this point is probably a better filmmaker than Sylvester Stallone is right now. And I mean, you can see it in the Rocky shots Balboa. in the trailer. Yeah, and then he was when he made Rocky Balboa. But, uh, yeah, so I trust Ryan Coogler. He gets the benefit of the doubt after Fruitville Station and obviously reteaming with Michael B. Jordan. I'm all about it. I think the smart thing that the trailer... I mean, the trailer is going to focus on Rocky because it's trying to sell the movie. It's a Rocky people, movie. People are going to go... I don't know that it is a Rocky movie. Well, I mean, it's, it's got in, Rocky it's in, a, in the it's continuity. In, yeah, it's in the know? canon. Yeah. But I think it's pretty wise to put... Stallone as Rocky in the supporting role, in the uh, the Mickey role, if you will. I think that's going to yield some interesting, hopefully special results. Yeah, I just wonder, because in the new trailer, there's a moment where Creed, Adonis Creed, I think is his name, says, Rocky's sick. I just hope that Rocky doesn't come down with the man cancer, as He's, opposed yeah, right. to the woman cancer <laughs> that claimed the life of his beloved <laughs> wife. Cancer. Uh, yeah, Adrian. Um, <laughs> yeah oh man another one honorable mention obviously we got to see it out the franchise ending film the hunger games mocking jay part two um i think all three of those films so far have been really solid yeah and uh, i'm looking forward to seeing the epic conclusion can i be honest with you here? yeah i think those movies are all fine and good i think jennifer lawrence has honestly done her strongest acting in those movies um even more so than the russell projects hmm. and winner's bone i no, not winner's bone I maybe think, certainly more than american hustle i think she is fantastic in those movies i think she's fantastic too i think winner's bone is the best thing she's ever done though and i think it's going to be i mean she's got her best days ahead of her obviously but um you know maybe the first one maybe i'd put the first hunger games movie over no no over american hustle but but not Winter's Bone or even Silver Linings Playbook. Well, which I love, as yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, Sicario. Yeah. Uh, looks amazing. And yeah. I'm a big fan of of this filmmaker Denny Villeneuve, who made Prisoners and Enemy, two of my favorite films of the last couple of years, I guess. Um, really, really strong thrillers. Both of them. Sicario looks like. Well, another really strong thriller with uh, Roger Deakins behind the camera. Sure. And that ain't going to hurt. No, and obviously a good cast led by Emily Blunt. And it's always good to see Benicio Del Toro doing mm. work that he believes in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another honorable mention real quick. Uh, I'm going to see this in a couple days, actually. Uh, Everest, uh, which looks at the very least like perfectly serviceable disaster movie epic spectacle. Um, hopefully it's something a little bit more than that, but even if it isn't, I think that that's a really nifty setting for, yeah. for a movie like that. And if, I don't know if you've ever read Into Thin Air by John Krakauer, uh, uh, but that's a hell of a story. And I think that, uh, hopefully, uh, with a cast like Everest has, it'll be brought to the big screen yeah. really nicely. Yeah. And frankly, I've been waiting for the Mount Everest movie for, yeah. for a lot of years. And whether it was going to be a direct adaptation of Into Thin Air or, or this, what we're getting, fine. But, you know, when it says from the director of Two Guns and Contraband, I uh, you know, there's a little it bit can't, of. You, you can't help but worry. Right. But, but it's got but, a solid cast. Yeah. And like and you the said, the trailer a great looks setting. cool. Yes, it does. Uh, so if all I'm getting from it is cool, fine. Yeah. And then finally, honorable mention, just because I feel like this is a huge question mark, 
Danny Boyle, Steve Jobs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it looks so strange that I, I kind of am drawn to it. I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. But another film, I mean, that's another film that got pretty good notices out of Telluride and, and I think is either screening or, or will screen shortly at Toronto to largely uh, pretty enthusiastic crowds. Does that surprise you? I mean, I mean a little because you, you, you think about Aaron Sorkin and you think about Danny Boyle and those styles don't match. Yeah, it's a weird marriage. But apparently they pull it off. Yeah, and I mean obviously Michael Fassbender in the lead role there is is a really alluring element. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's just got, it's got a ton going for it, and I know that we'll both be in the theater. Absolutely. For it. So yeah, you know I hear good things, and after the Social Network, obviously I think Aaron Sorkin's uh, karma that he's built among fans is is was at an all time high. Yeah, Social Network and Moneyball. Yeah, I mean I he almost he, ruined it with the newsroom. I was going to say he lost a lot of it with the newsroom, but you know I, I think feature films are surprisingly a pretty solid yeah. place for him. That's what he should just concern himself with. I think. Yeah. Television isn't his thing anymore. <laughs> okay, well, Steve Jobs it is then. Can't wait. And that comes out in October, right? Yeah, it's getting a platform release now, I okay. think, to capitalize on some of this Oscar buzz. Sure, and we knew that there would be that for that movie. So, yeah, lots to look forward to. I sense Spielberg hate from you in that Bridge of Spies wasn't on your list. Uh, it was an honorable mention. Okay. Um, again, give me something to chew on here. I'm yeah. going to see it. I'm going to be there opening day. But give me something to look forward to. Yeah, I just it surprises me because Lincoln was your favorite movie of 2012, was yep, it not? It was. So and it this was. seems like a movie about guys in rooms again. I, I'm all about guys in rooms. <laughs> One of my top five favorite subjects of movies. <laughs> yeah, so it's a you know Spielberg, whoever you know whoever that guy is, yeah. he's got a new movie. So totally awesome. Well, that does it. Summer's gone, fall is coming. So we we can't wait to finish the year out, and and maybe when Corey feels like it he can talk more about the winter movies that he's excited about instead star wars hateful eight there There, done okay we're good (laughs) all right well thanks everybody for listening read Corey stuff on artsbham.com read me at al.com check us out on itunes check us out on facebook and twitter at aspect radio go listen to film nerds unlimited you can find it on itunes or just go to filmnerds.com thanks as always to our producer andrew richardson and until next week i'm ben flanagan and i'm Corey Kraft. this has been aspect radio thanks for listening Check, check. Talk into your mic the whole time. <laughs> That's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> right now and throughout. Right. <laughs> Talking to your mic right now, but never do it again. <laughs> no, keep doing it. Because <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that impulse to turn. You can, you can come around as much as you want, man. Oh, that's true. Like, if you really want to come around more. No, I, there. I, mean, I mean, this will do. This will really do. This will do. That's the I mean, can you, this, this does desk it, actually is that it does it sound worth a damn? Uh, check, 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 Jackass. <laughs> Both of them. Yep. On pristine Blu-ray. <laughs>